Anyone grow up on VeggieTales? Yeah, all right. I'm dating myself a little bit, not too badly, but um, David and Goliath, right? So that was Saul, and you had David. They're talking to each other. Am I on? Am I coming through okay? I can't tell right now. Okay, good. Um, so uh, so thought that was appropriate. I was uh, talking about, uh, you'll see our big idea has to do with big and little today. Um, and Pastor Ryan, as I was kind of talking with him about it, I'm like, I don't know what to do with her for a sermon bumper video. He starts humming that song. I'm like, that sounds really familiar, like from the distant past. I thought, okay, we'll go ahead and do Big and Little. So there's, there's your sermon bumper video for today. But hey, I want to welcome you. If it is your, um, it, if it is your first uh, time today, once again, I want to welcome you. Say that we are involving people in the life of Christ and involving Christ in the lives of people. And as we are moving into this uh, Christmas season, maybe you're, you feel like, man, it's here already. Maybe uh, you feel like, man, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling Christmas. I'm feeling it. Um, but, uh, but we're hoping that uh, as we talk about involving people in the life of Christ, that uh, worship is a big part of that. And you're thinking about your posture of worship as you anticipate the coming of our King. And so we're entering into a new sermon series. So if it is your first day, congrats. You made it for the first day of the, of the sermon series. Um, we are excited to talk about worshiping the King. Um, we're going to be focusing on, in on several uh, aspects throughout the Gospels of, uh, of where people are just worshiping God for the coming Messiah. And so um, so want to uh, want to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke one, if you have an app or you have um, uh, the traditional paperback, um, go ahead and open to Luke 1. We're going to be spending time there. Um, but on Christmas time, uh, we focus on the miracle of God became flesh and dwelling among us for 33 years. We spend some time reflecting on that. Uh, as you know, there's 20, or there's, uh, excuse me, that was weird. There's 400 years of silence uh, in between the Testaments, between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, and, and so the people of Israel are waiting, and they're waiting to hear from God. And then we have Luke's gospel. Um, we have Matthew, we have Mark, we have John. And uh, God breaks in, and in the form of a baby. Nobody was expecting that, were they? Um, so Jesus Christ comes, God made flesh, and he breaks the silence of 400 years. We hope as we're moving closer and closer to December 25th that you find yourself focusing more and more on Jesus, not less and less. So hopefully you're anticipating that moment and we can celebrate on December 25th the coming of our Lord and our Savior, the long-awaited Messiah. I want to give you a couple things. Before we dive into the actual passage here, I want to talk about Luke, the actual guy, Luke, not the Gospel of Luke, a little bit about the Gospel of Luke, but the guy, Luke, uh, was tasked by this guy named Theophilus to give an accurate account of the things that happened in the life of Christ and then also uh, the founding and the establishment of the New Testament church. So he wrote Acts also. You might not know that. So Luke and Acts, Luke wrote both of those. Um, and it was written sometime after, um, after the establishment of the church. Uh, and uh, it was really important to Luke to... To give an accurate account. And so Luke makes it clear, if you look at the beginning of his gospel, he makes it clear that he seeks out eyewitness accounts. And the reason that's important for our message today is because we're going to be ending on, on, a, on the thought that God is faithful to do the things that he says he's going to do. He's not just able, 
God is big, and he's able to do the things that he said he's going to do, but he also actually does follow through. He's of the character where he follows through, and he does the things that he says he's going to do. And so um, all that's important because uh, Luke, Luke actually wants to make sure that he's giving an accurate account of what happens. He wants to record these things very accurately to show how God has done what he says he was going to do in the Old Testament. He fulfilled all of his promises, both to the people of Israel and to us. And so, um, so we find ourselves in the first chapter of Luke. First thing that happens, uh, one of the first things that happens, uh, Elizabeth, uh, a relative of Mary, gets visited by an angel. And she's told, you're going to have a son. His, you're going to name him John. And there's a whole backstory that goes along with that that we're not going to cover today, but I, uh, I think Pastor Ryan is covering that here soon. Um, but there's a whole backstory. He eventually becomes known as John the Baptist, uh, but uh, Elizabeth uh, trusts the word of the angel. And then shortly after that account, Luke tells us about how that same angel goes and visits Mary. And Mary uh, is told that you are also going to have a child very soon. And it's extremely distressing for Mary because she's a virgin and she's never been with her husband, never had intimate relations with her husband. And so she does, uh, she does kind of ask, hey, so how's that possible since I've never been with a man? And um, he, in a nutshell, says, with God, all things are possible. And so she accepts what the angel says to her. Uh, and then immediately after that, my thinking is she probably needs some reassurance and she probably needs to go talk to another lady she leaves and goes to visit her relative Elizabeth over in Judah. And, uh, and this, is where, this is where the story starts that we're going to be covering today. Uh, she walks up to Elizabeth, and uh, before either of them says anything, Mary has not shared any news with her whatsoever. This is, as far as we know, according to each of the Gospels, the information that has been shared with her by the angel with Mary has been kept private. And... Uh, and the first thing that Elizabeth does is confirms what the angel says. The Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. As soon as she sees Mary, Mary approaches her, and John starts inside of Elizabeth, starts going crazy. He starts kicking around, and she knows, she knows that uh, something's up with Mary, and she speaks some prophetic words, and this is what she says. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. She confirms everything that the angel says. Um, And that's not ambiguous at all, is it? It's very clear that God has used Elizabeth to once again confirm what he has said to Mary, the message that has been de- delivered to Mary. And so, uh, so now Mary has confirmation, and uh, our message today is going to focus on Mary's response to this. Mary's attitude at this point is an act of worship. Her response is an act of worship. And, uh, and I want to focus in on, for some reason, this response, which is fairly long response for us, uh, is recorded in Scripture. Somebody recorded it at some point, whether, um, whether it was uh, Mary who uh, stored up those words in her heart and, and then shared it with Luke later, or maybe Elizabeth or somebody who was close to one, one or both of them. Um, these words were recorded for us. And it's important to understand that they're in God's Word for a reason, because God wants us to have these words that Mary spoke. Um, so I want us to pay attention this morning as, 
as, as we're thinking about worshiping, worshiping the king, what is Mary's attitude? What is her heart posture before God um, as she says these words? And I, um, really what it is is he's big, we're little, so worship him. He's big, we're little, so worship him. So let's go ahead and take a look at what Mary says. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen. Mary says this. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their heart. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to his ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she goes home. And so um, so he's big, we're little, so worship him. So we're going to go ahead and unpack this together this morning. We're going to talk through Mary's response together. And uh, um, before we do that, let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we come before you today, and we acknowledge our need for you, for your word, for your Holy Spirit to work on us. We humble ourselves before you. Please teach us. Um, Please help us to see our need for you. Help us to see how great and magnificent you are. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. He's big, we're little, so worship him. Uh, if you're an outline person, it's in the bulletin. You can reference the outline there. I won't have it on the screen this morning, but if you're a linear person, you like that, you can um, follow along there. But uh, God makes the little big. And so we are unimportant is the first thing I have written down there. So let me ask you this question. If you have something of this magnitude, something like this not quite this, but something of this magnitude happened with you. What's your first response? I know that I was, I was reading about Mary, and my first response was, what's, what's so special about Mary? Why, why did God choose her? But I think that's missing the point of this entire passage, because remember what Mary responded with first. She didn't respond with, there must be something so special about me that God would choose me. She says, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She doesn't even begin with anything to do with her. She praises God and she says, God, you are amazing and you are big and I rejoice in who you are and what you've done. Her response is adoration and wonder and joy at at, at all that is found in God, all of who he is and all of what he's done. And it's going to unfold as we continue reading. Mary realizes that um, these events aren't brought about because she's anyone important. She's not anybody important, but God has brought about these events because he is great and he is able and he is faithful. Um, Has nothing to do with her. So let me ask you a question. Does that sound like something that the world wants to hear today? There's nothing so important about you. Now you can all go home. (laughs) Uh, no, it, it runs contrary to who we are. But guess what? That's the essence of the gospel. That's, that, is what, that is what life is about. God is big and we are little. 
and we need to have a right response to his position and our position before him. Um, we need to acknowledge our need for God. Everything in us wants to cry out that we're important. I want to make my mark on the world. I want to have an impact. I want to be significant in some way. Why? I think it's because we want the glory. We want the praise. We want the honor. We want to take from God what is rightfully his. But we also know that in the end, we really don't get the glory, the honor, and the praise, partially because God's word tells us, partially because we know from history, and also we know that most people who die, their name passes away. You never hear about them again. There's very few people whose names uh, we remember uh, centuries later. Mary is one of them, by the way. And Mary, uh, the only reason we know her is because God did something amazing in her life, not because she did anything amazing, but because God is amazing. So uh, I want to share with, you, share with you guys just a little bit. So I've been doing worship ministry for about probably eight, seven or eight years now, um, off and on. And I did a little bit before that at my, at my home church where I grew up. I helped with the youth group and I, that, that worship team for a couple of years. And um, something, that, an attitude I always struggle with is not making this a performance up here. Does that make sense? I value excellence, and I value things being done well. And I tell myself, and I hope it's true most of the time, that we do it for God's glory. We are excellent for God's glory. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's some times where I see you guys worshiping, or I, I'm leading another church in worship, and uh, people are getting into it. And I go, man, we must be firing all cylinders today. We're doing a great job, aren't we? Look at this. Serious. That's a struggle in my heart. That is turning to us, and that's like, that's taking the glory, and my heart attitude and my mind is not right. Now, it's something I struggle with, and I hope that God will continue to work on me and bring us back to the point where, Lord, will you cause this up here to fade into the background, and will you, will you help everybody to see the magnificence and glory of Jesus Christ, not what's going on up here, because 100 years from now, this is going to be gone. These people would be gone up here. But guess who's still around? God and his son, Jesus Christ. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And so he is big. We're little. We need to worship Christ. And so I, I struggle with that. That's something I struggle with. And so as I'm wrestling with this passage, I'm reading through it. I'm studying how God works in people's lives. And I'm seeing how Mary is making connections with other biblical characters throughout history. I'm thinking to myself, okay, great. I realize I'm insignificant. You're insignificant. What am I supposed to do with this passage? How does this apply to us? Is it even encouraging? So I, I want to start by saying it's true that God does value each one of us. God values you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's in scripture too. But it's also true that as we come to God in worship, we need to have the attitude of we are unimportant. God is important. God is everything for us. God uses seemingly unimportant people too. So um, I want to read a couple of her words again. Mary says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he's looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. So while we may be seemingly unimportant, God makes us important, right? Mary admits that her position in life is lowly. We sing about that this time of year. She's of lowly estate, um, there's, there's not a lot to her. Her position is lowly. Her condition is lowly. Uh, the key that she's 
that she's noticing here is that God uses people who are seemingly unimportant all throughout history. So one person says this, it is possible to be too big for God to use you, but never too small for God to use you. Did you hear that? It's possible to be too big for God to use you, but never too small for God to use you. Um, Your pride, um, if you are proud. A pastor said this, I was never of any use until I found out that God did not intend me to be a great man. So again, I'm not saying that you should think of yourself as nothing necessarily. Mary's attitude here, though, is, is, is one that I think is the right attitude before God as we approach him in worship and we worship the king. And we find many who are used of God throughout scripture having this heart attitude and this posture before God. It's this attitude that true humility is not to think low of oneself, but to think rightly and truthfully of oneself in relation to who God is. Um, Another guy says this, people apparently unimportant become important, and those who appear to be important become unimportant. Isn't that interesting how God brings those who we think would be the most important key players, but they're not as of great significance, and those who we don't expect are elevated to positions of importance because of who God is. This passage is about God and his ability to intervene. Mary realizes that God is great. He fulfills his promises. Um, The acknowledgement that we are not important, but God is great and we have nothing without God, that in and of itself is a miracle. And so I want to encourage you this morning um, to think through, do you need God? Do you need God in your life? That it is a miracle of his Holy Spirit working in your heart and in your mind to bring you to the point where you acknowledge that you need Jesus Christ in your life. As we grow, so as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we decrease and Christ increases. We see later that's a theme that John the Baptist himself speaks and and has as a life theme. We must decrease, Christ must increase. That's another another way of saying that um, with all of who we are, we worship Christ increasingly more so as life goes on and we give him the praise and every word that we speak and every action that we do in service and honor to Jesus and Jesus alone. And so that, that is a life that's lived in worship of the King. So uh, wanna, I want to throw this, throw this uh, on the screen for you. Um, why does God make seemingly unimportant people important? So uh, we're under the, uh, the subheading of uh, God does this for his glory, okay? So keep that in mind. God uses seemingly unimportant people, makes them important for his glory. So, um, so that's, that's the overarching why. But uh, there's a couple reasons, I think, that we can look to. Because we are best used when we're moldable and pliable in God's hands. Uh, proud people, people of a high, um, high station in life, people who think they have it all figured out, typically cannot be used of God because they're not seeking God's will. They don't admit that they need God. Um, People that are typically of lowly station or people that are seemingly unimportant know their spot in life. They know that they're not much. Uh, they know that they need God. And so the path to humility is much, uh, is much shorter for them. 
than it is for those that are um, of a high station or of great influence. So the other piece is this. um, God's power and ability are best seen in people who have nothing going for them. Think about David. He's the son of a shepherd, and uh, he's, uh, he, nobody expects him to overcome Goliath. You, we saw that earlier, right? He's talking back and forth with Saul, and Saul is really skeptical. It's like, what? You think the power of God is enough for you to do this? But his posture before God is that God is big, I am little. And God's power and ability are best seen when people who have nothing going for them, a David, um, a shepherd in this instance, um, somebody who's scrawny. It could be a Rahab who's a harlot um, who is in the line of Christ, by the way. People who have nothing going for them, God intervenes in their lives and uses them because his power and ability are best seen. Uh, we look at a miracle. We look at a situation. We look at an army in Scripture that could never conquer the enemy on its own, but it does because God is with them. God's power and ability are best seen. And people look at that and they go, that's interesting. How did that happen? There is no way that that person could have done that. There's no way that that army could have conquered without God intervening. That must be God. His power and ability are best seen in people who have nothing going for them. So, uh, these people weren't people of prestige or influence, and neither is Mary in this instance, is she? She's not a person of prestige or influence. They're normal people, and many times they're flawed people. And becomes in those situations that God is big and we're little. So I want to look at verse 15, uh, 49 with you. Um, because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. And he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. So Mary now um, turns to, as she's thinking about what God has done in her life, her response is praise and worship and adoration at the amazing things that God has done. Her response is the rightful and proper response when we begin to realize that we're small, God's big, right? Our response should be praise and worship of him. So when Mary says, the mighty one has done great things for me, let me go back to that. The mighty one has done great things for me. His name is holy. I want to talk about that word holy for just a second. We sang about, holy, we sang about holiness just a minute ago. We were singing, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Holy, this passage is, is saying that this mighty God who's done amazing things, there's nobody else like him. There's nobody else that's next to him or that can compare with him. There's nobody like him. He's so different and he is so high above and so magnificent that the best thing that we can do is assign him the name holy. That's set apart. His name is set apart. There's none like you. That's, that is the response that Mary has in this instance because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. And she reinforces God's ability to do amazing things by saying uh, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. So what is it he has done? So it's this um, in, the, in the last verse of that section. Um, he scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. Again, it's this concept of uh, those who are proud, those who think they have it figured out without God, um, they are humbled. They eventually figure out, I can't do this without God. He scatters the proud because of the thoughts 
of their hearts. Also, uh, God is merciful. In verse uh, 50, go ahead and look at verse 50. I don't have it on the screen here. Go, to, go ahead and look at verse 50 if you have it there. Look in your neighbors if you need to. Mary hits the hard the fact that God's mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. So what does that mean? His mercy is on generation to generation for those who fear him. Uh, I think sometimes we gloss over that and we don't give it a lot of thought of what that means. But uh, generation to generation, um, just is another way of saying, of all people who revere God. When we talk about fearing God, we talk about this reverence posture before God. Uh, and so I was thinking about reverence. It's not something that we reflect on a lot today, is it? When's the last time you're like, I wonder what reverence is? I don't think about that a whole lot. Uh, we should, though. And so I, I, uh, I started looking through, okay, let's look up reverence or reverent, you know. What does that mean, approaching God in reverence? And I didn't like any, any of the uh, definitions at all. Um, I, I think I looked over like four um, and so I probably could have looked a little longer, but um, I went ahead and just wrote my own. So this is, this is what I have to say. Um, I, this is how I view reverence. Reverence is responding to God in a way that rightly acknowledges his position and my position before him. That makes sense? So there's a response to that. I'm responding to God in a way that acknowledges my, my position in a way that's accurate and truthful, that rightly acknowledges his position and my position before him. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more. But Mary says, um, his, uh, Mary says, his mercy is on generation to generation for those who fear him. Those who rightly respond to God in a way that rightly acknowledges their position, their, their, their need for God. His mercy is on them. And so my question is this. Have you taken the time to consider what your position before God is? Um, if, you, uh, if you don't follow Christ, you don't know Christ, um, maybe you're wondering what the big deal is about reverence and, and worship, but this is all connected. Um, as we come before God and we begin to see who he is, we begin to realize that we are sinful and that we absolutely need Jesus in our lives. We need him, and that's why he came and he died and he rose again. It's for our sins. Our sin became him, on, on him. It came on him, and he died for us, and then he rose again, and that's where we can rejoice and we can have victory because we know that as we trust in Christ who bore our sins on the cross, that we can have eternal life because of him. And I want to encourage you to consider this morning that maybe the right response, I know it is, but I'm saying for you, the right response this morning, if you haven't considered um, your relationship with God, is humility and an acknowledgement that I need Jesus. Um, and as we approach December 25th, this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to, uh, to read through the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, 25 chapters, I believe, somewhere around there. Um, read through the gospel, Luke, Luke. It will give you a really good idea of why Jesus came, our need for him, and, uh, and get us to a point of responding to God in a way that rightly acknowledges his position and our position before him. Something else, too, um, if you have accepted Christ, if you have him in your life, if you're following him, reverence is the ongoing Christian life. We need to constantly come back to that in humility, come back to God and acknowledge, Lord, I don't have all this figured out. I absolutely need you. 
Will you help me to adopt that posture of reverence in my life? All right. God is faithful. So if you're following along the outline, um, Mary then moves to how God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do. She continues um, to point out through history that God has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. This is a constant theme throughout Scripture. He meets the lowly in their need. He has mercy on them because they're following him and have a right view of God and a right view of themselves. They know that they were created. This is us. Do you know that you were created to serve God, to glorify God? But guess what? He topples the mighty from their thrones. Um, So God is faithful to meet the lowly in their need. He exalts the humble. But now uh, Mary, she's going to acknowledge that... um, something about God as she's worshiping. So she reflects on the fact that God is not only able to fulfill his promises. Listen, he's not only able to fulfill his promises, but he actually does. There's a difference there. He has an ability to fulfill his promises. He has the power to fulfill his promises, but God is of the character that he does fulfill his promises because he's a loving God. He's just, he follows through and he does what he says he will do. There's a I'm just reminded of a song, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything that he says he will do every morning, his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Um, that, is, that, is, that is what is Mary, what Mary is saying here. She says, he satisfied the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. He has satisfied his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Before we move into that, um, I want to share with you, just uh, kind of give you a prep before we dive into Hannah's prayer. Um, Mary clearly knows Scripture very, very well. Because uh, you're about, as you're about to see, we're going to read through Hannah's prayer. Mary incorporates a lot of Hannah's prayer into her song. And, uh, and, and it shows also that Mary very confidently sings that, that God does these things throughout Scripture from generation to generation. He does these things. These are themes throughout Scripture. It shows that he knows his word and knows his word intimately, and she understands how God works. She knows God, and in order to worship God and have a right view of who God is and a right view of who we are, we need to know God's word. And so, uh, and there's one other reason, I think, that's kind of tied to that, that, that she uses Hannah's prayer. And so we're going to read it uh, together. Um, if you have your Bible, you can't open to it. Also have it up here. First Samuel, it's out of first Samuel too. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years earlier, Hannah spoke these words and, uh, and you can see Mary echoing these words. Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol, and he raises others up. 
The Lord brings poverty and he gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He sits them with noblemen and he gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Do you see uh, many of the themes that Mary uses in that, in that prayer of Hannah's? Clearly she knows Hannah's prayer. Uh, obviously she's inspired by God as well to say what she said. It's recorded in scripture for our benefit. Um, but there's something else about this prayer that I believe is really important. You see, he will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. His anointed, this is the first time that this word is used of the coming king um, that is going to not only reign, uh, but also judge. Um, It's talking about Christ, isn't it? Um, And uh, that word in Hebrew is Messiah. The first time that word is used in Hannah's prayer. I don't think it's an accident that Mary incorporates many aspects of this song into her own song as she is carrying the Messiah. She is making a point, and she's trying to make a point very clearly that God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. From the first point we heard about Messiah to today, God is faithful to do what he says he will do. He doesn't just have the power, but look, it's being fulfilled now today. Right now, in my life, I'm seeing it come to pass. She's making the point that though many hundreds of years have passed, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He's able and he will fulfill his promises. And she is beginning to get this view of God. Just in adopting this, this posture before God that God is big and that we're little. So the response is to worship him. And so she does. So... We're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to uh, we're going to just res- we're going to respond this morning. Um, if you have your cards, you can pull them out. Um, but I just want to talk through how this might apply to us. What can we do? What are some things that we can do to grow in humility? Which it sounds strange, but it's important that as we are considering our right position before God, that we are pursuing things that help us to understand who God is and understand who we are in relation to Him and how much we need Him. And grow in dependence on him. That's growing in humility. Um, growing in humility. So, first thing, is there an area in which you struggle to trust God to do what he promises to do? I know that there's, uh, I know that there's areas I struggle with that. I, uh, I'm somebody that uh, really struggles to pass things over to other people um, and trust that, uh, that God's going to work on them, God's got it, that they're going to grow in his timing, um, and uh, I want to, like, there's times I have a tendency to micromanage, I'll be honest. But trusting God is important for a pastor, right? Because I need to trust that God is going to work in the lives of people and just as he's worked in my own life. And so um, I struggle with that. Um, maybe there's an area where you struggle with. I want to encourage you to write it down. You don't necessarily have to turn it in. Um, but, but I would like to pray with you. So, uh, so if you write it down, we'll pray with you. The elders pray with you. Um, we pray throughout the week. Many of you turned in response cards last week, and we're continuing to pray over those. Um, the second thing 
The Christian life of worship starts with humility. Have you acknowledged your need for Christ? Have you, have you acknowledged that you need Jesus in your life? Um, if not, I want to encourage you today to pursue Christ, to accept him, to acknowledge your need for him, to humbly bow at his feet. Um, if you do, go ahead and mark it on your card, and we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and follow up with you today. Uh, and then the uh, last thing here is uh, over this Christmas season, uh, maybe think of one way that you could set aside time during the week to worship the king. Uh, be very intentional. So last week we talked about Advent and how Advent was beginning and we provided some resources on our website for you to walk your family through some Advent readings and consider this time of anticipation um, as we look forward to celebrating the birth of our Savior. Um, so that's one way. Um, yeah, we're a weekend, but that's okay. Um, you can go ahead and head over there and, and grab those resources and maybe read through with your family. Um, my family, we're about like 75% of getting all the readings done. It's, it's a ton of fun. We try to do it at the dinner table, um, and the boys ask all sorts of questions because there's Old Testament readings, New Testament readings. But it's been a great way for us to um, just set aside some time to worship the King this Christmas season. So, um, so I want to give you about two minutes to just pray, consider what we've heard from Mary um, recorded in Luke's gospel and, and maybe respond this morning. So again, the cards are in your bulletin. Uh, just take a few minutes. <laughs>